Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. I've called this message the paganism of the people, which you wouldn't expect because they're the people of God, the covenant people, the beneficiaries of the promises of God, and yet they're acting like their pagan counterparts that they just came out of oppression from. The Egyptians and their gods are now becoming their gods, and the patterns of cultural compromise are rampant among the people of God, even though they're following Moses. Despite written laws and posted signs, people often claim ignorance when they get pulled over for traffic violations. But the Bible says that when it comes to God's law, we are without excuse. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares explains that God has clearly communicated what He expects from us. Find out how you can know what God requires when you listen to today's Gospel lesson from the Old Testament. I'm Dave Drewy. Now here's Pastor Mike with a powerful warning message called, The Paganism of the People. If you were ever to sit in the cockpit of a fighter jet, maybe an F-A-18 Hornet or a F-15, you would find as you sat there that there are a few things within reach that are colorfully painted in yellow and black. A lever here, a switch there, a button over here. And if you ever had a chance to learn to fly one of those jets and you were on a mission, deployed your ordnance, your flying over enemy skies back to home, I would suggest that you don't mess with any of those yellow and black switches. And I know that's hard because they're so close, right? You've got that yellow handle right next to your knee there, and it pivots on about a two-inch give, and if you decided to pull it, I'm just saying it'd mess up your day. That lever that's right there tempting you to pull it is going to launch that rocket under your seat and get you up and out of that cockpit in no time. And once you got over the two seconds of exhilaration of being catapulted straight up, there would be the realization as you hung vulnerable under the canopy of your parachute, wafting down to enemy territory, that it's not a good thing when you leave your jet behind. It would be an advisable thing not to mess with any of those. And The Bible presents to us the concept of sin, much like those levers and switches and buttons. They're they're clearly marked. God has been very clear about what is right and wrong. And as you live the Christian life and you cruise through the enemy territory of, of this world, God says, don't mess with those. Don't touch those. Don't pull that. Don't push that. Don't flip that switch. That's 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 wrong and it's gonna cause a lot of trouble. And all of us have touched them and pulled them from time to time, and we've had those immediate feelings of guilt and shame, but you need to remember there's a much, much more to it than that. There's the, the vulnerability of stepping away from the safety of being ensconced in the will of God. There's potential of you, as the Bible says, being held captive by the enemy to do his will. There's, there's issues as the enemy wants to, to devour Christians. We, we have to see the bigness of what a big deal it is on a Thursday or a Friday night when you're fighting temptation and you think it's right there. Everyone else seems to do it. Everyone else is encouraging me to do it. I don't don't get it. Is it really a big deal? Well, we wouldn't be the first generation to 
have what would seem to be an unthinkable reaction to sin and temptation when you see that there's every conceivable reason to do what we ought to do because God has been clear and he's warned us of the consequences and yet we find ourselves foolishly walking into uh, the consequences of our own decisions. Certainly the wilderness wandering is a case study in that. And if you've been reading our daily Bible reading, we're on the schedule where we've seen this just chapter after chapter after chapter. It's like they should know better. And you're kind of yelling at the pages of scripture when you read, like, what are you thinking? How can you do that? You just watched Moses do these miracles and these plagues and shown the power of God. You watched the Egyptian army drowned in the Red Sea. And, and, and now you're, you're, you're wanting to build a golden calf. What are you guys thinking? Just do what the prophet says. Do what Moses tells you. This is God speaking. He's made it clear. And here we sit with the Bible on our phone that is filled with predictive prophecies. Every authenticated thing you would want to prove that, that God has spoken, and this is his word, it's right there. We see that we have every advantage to know that the instruction manual that he's laid on our lap as we sit in the cockpit of the Christian life, it's like he, he's told us what to do. And yet you and I will go through this life this week filled with the temptations that we had last week. And we're going to make decisions about what we do. And I'm just saying this, that just like they learned that sin is a much, much bigger deal than they tended to think, we've got to have that, that sobering moment in Scripture here today as we study Acts chapter 7. It's a big deal. There are consequences. They're more grave than we would think. And I would want us to at least look at this text of Scripture today in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 37, and say, okay, I want to find myself in the text of this Scripture and make sure I learn the lesson that that generation didn't seem to learn. So take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn there. Because if there's anything I want from you this morning, it's to realize that the consequences of sin and what's in the balance in our temptations is probably a much, much bigger deal than you or I dare to believe. And some of us have learned that, but others have not. So I would ask you, please, to spend some time in this text, beginning in verse 37. And remember where we are as Stephen is talking to the council. We know it as the Sanhedrin. They've accused him of rejecting the teaching of Moses. So he spent some time here. We've dealt with it the last three weeks talking about Moses. And now the attention turns from Moses, this deliverer, to how the people responded to the deliverer. I've called this message the paganism of the people, which you wouldn't expect because they're the people of God, the covenant people, the beneficiaries of the promises of God. And yet they're acting like their pagan counterparts that they just came out of oppression from. The Egyptians and their gods are now becoming their gods. And the patterns of cultural compromise are rampant among the people of God, even though they're following Moses, in their hearts they're not. Look at how it's described here, beginning in verse 37. Follow along with me, Acts 7, 37. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, now he's going to quote a very important prophecy of the Pentateuch. It's a quotation from Deuteronomy 18, 15, which I'm sure your Bible notes somewhere, in a footnote at least it should, that God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. That's an oft-repeated line, and even though sometimes we see it quoted verbatim, like Peter quoted it in Acts chapter 3 when he was preaching just a couple chapters previously, he quotes that saying, Christ is the fulfillment of this. There was a prophet that was expected, and Christ is that prophet. When John the Baptist was out there gathering a following, they asked the question, is this the prophet? Right? And they don't mean just a prophet. They mean that this prophet, the prophet of, of Deuteronomy 18. Matter of fact, they would see Jesus do some things and they would say, I know this is the prophet that was to come. I mean, they, they, they knew that this was a message about someone greater than Moses that was coming. And of course, 
Stephen is building this parallel between the way they rejected Christ, saying, listen, just like they rejected Moses, now it's your turn. You had an opportunity here with a greater prophet, the prophet. As it says in Hebrews, God spoke through the prophets in many portions, in many ways in the Old Testament, but he's spoken to us in, in, in these last times in his son. Here is the ultimate spokesperson of God, God himself, God in human form. And he is presenting the truth, and they rejected it. Well, this Moses who said to the Israelites, and he takes that, seems like a random quote, but it's not a random quote because that's the whole point of him standing before the Sanhedrin that had condemned Jesus to die just months earlier. He says, this is the one, speaking of Moses, who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. Now, here's the whole point. He received living oracles to give to us. Just like Jesus wanted to make it clear, he was the prophet fulfilling Deuteronomy 18.15, and they didn't listen to it. He said, you have someone that's going to judge you. Moses will judge you. Moses in his writings, they speak of me. He kept telling the people. And here were the Sanhedrin listening to Stephen going, you're rejecting Moses. And here's Stephen saying, you're rejecting Moses. <laughs> because Moses talked about Christ and you're not accepting and embracing Christ. And those words, those oracles, that's a weird word. We don't use that much of but it's the word, it's related grammatically in Greek to the word, a saying, or a, a, the, the word word, right? With the word logos is at the root of it. And it means statement. These are statements and they're living statements in the sense that they give life, right? We talk about the New Testament description of the Bible. It talks about that the Bible is, is a living and active sword, living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. So we have the truth given through the prophets, the word in, in the Old Testament in Hebrew, by the way, a prophet means a mouthpiece. God is speaking through the prophets. And he does that in these periods of times in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament by authenticating that through the miraculous signs of the prophets. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 talks about that, the idea that God is authenticating it. And so we had these miracles that Moses did and therefore the people should listen to Moses. And you think, well, if I were there and saw Moses part the Red Sea, I would listen to him. Well, you got a book in your lap that has predictive prophecies laced throughout it that there's no other explanation except God's fingerprints are all over that book. And it says very clear things about the way we should live our lives this week. And I think when we say, well, if we were there, we would do the right thing. We've got the same clear, authenticated, authorized. There's no question we have the word of God, the living oracles of God. The question is, what do we do with it? Look what it says here. They did with the words of Moses. Verse 39, our fathers used to, oh, refused, rather, refused to obey him. And they thrust him aside. It's like, not only are we not going to do it, we're not going to sit here and listen anymore. This is the Greek word to shove, to push. We push him out of the way. Why? Because there was a problem in their hearts. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt. Now, I'm in the desert following Moses. I, my body is here following Moses, but my heart really is back in Egypt. And we've seen that in our daily Bible reading. It was great when we were back there by the Nile eating our, you know, our leeks and onions and all the things we used to do. And, and, and we had normalcy, even though we were slaves. And I don't know why we're following you, Moses. And they go to his brother, Aaron, the priest, and they say, make for us gods who will go before us. This, by the way, is Exodus 32 is the scene of the golden calf. Right? How clear was Moses about what God said in Exodus 20? Do you know your Bible chapters? Exodus 20. What's in Exodus 20? Ten commandments. Ten commandments. Commandment number one, no other gods before me. And then command number two, no idols. Don't make any idols. By chapter 32, they're going to make us an idol. And why? Well, we're not liking this prophet. Matter of fact, he's not working on our timetable. He went up on the mountain. How long is he going to be there? Look what he says here in verse 40. As for this Moses who led us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. 
Verse 41, and they made a calf in those days and they offered a sacrifice to the idol and they were rejoicing in the work of their hands. Now God had given them living oracles, living truth. Here's the thing that I think you should, here's the instruction manual for the cockpit of life and you're there just flipping switches, pulling levers, pushing buttons any way you want. You don't care about what I said. You can do whatever you want. Your self-styled religion, you're gonna do what you choose to do. So God's response, verse 42, but God turned away. There's a passive response, right? Okay, fine. And he gave them over. You want to do that? Yeah, fine, you can do that. It's going to be consequences at the end of verse 43, but okay. As it is written in the book of the prophets, right? and you remember the categories of the Bible, the law, the prophets, the writings. In the prophets, the category of writings of the prophets of the Old Testament, there's a book called Amos. And in Amos, he's quoting it here, Amos chapter 5, he's going to talk about the fact that the real diagnosis of what was going on, even though externally they were following Moses and they were doing the worship that Moses prescribed, really in their hearts, it was far from God. And they were bringing sacrifices, but their sacrifices, even to the golden calf at the beginning, they're, uh, they're not sacrificing to God. And even when they got back online after Moses comes back down the mountain and straightens them out, it's still like their hearts aren't, aren't right. And so in Amos 5, he asked the question, did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the 40 years in the wilderness? Key words to me. Was it really to me, O house of Israel? Was it to me? No, it wasn't to me. In your heart, your hearts were somewhere else. Verse 43, you took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, and the images that you made to worship. And so what was the response? Well, at first it's backing away in verse 42, and then it was 900 years later, all of the accumulation of the idolatry and the going astray in their hearts, he sends them off to Babylon. I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. The initial prophecy, Moses, or Amos is talking about Damascus and Assyria, because that was the first wave of God's punishment. And here Stephen's saying, but you guys know, even the southern tribes, as he looks to the Judean leaders of Israel at that time, and he says, you know, God sent them off to Babylon, ultimately, 900 years later. Well, it all starts with a reminder that the prophet had spoken, the mouthpiece. When the prophet speaks, as God says to Moses, it's going to be as though you are God to them. When I give you this revelation, like the Ten Commandments or whatever instructions I give, like now's the time to cross the Red Sea or now's the time to move toward Canaan or no, we shouldn't go. When you give them those instructions, it's as though I'm giving those instructions. When they reject what you say, Moses, they're rejecting what I say. Why? Because you are providing revelatory information, living oracles. You are a mouthpiece, a, a prophet. And that's a good place for us to start because we sit here just like the Sanhedrin sat there looking at things that God had promised regarding Christ, and we can either choose to listen to it or not listen to it, but we've got to say God has been clear from the beginning here. In, in Deuteronomy 18, there's going to be another one's coming, and every prophecy beyond that kept building on that to say, this will be the ultimate spokesperson of God. This will be the one to whom, as it says in Daniel 7, all authority of all the peoples ever made should be given to this one, like the Son of Man, who's going to have all authority over all people. This is the focus of humanity on this son of man, God incarnate. When the Lord, it keeps talking in these terms about the Lord setting his feet down on the Mount of Olives, we're not talking about God now having feet unless we're talking about, oh, the second person of the Godhead taking on humanity and in his incarnation coming and having toenails and being able to touch the ground of the earth. Here's the picture of this incarnate God who is supposed to be the focus of our attention and the ultimate mouthpiece, the ultimate prophet that was to come that is greater than Moses and all of that accumulates itself in Christ and we have this information and not only that, he said to the apostles, you're going to be able 
to recall what I said, and you're going to give that information. I'm going to lead you into all truth. And now they've codified those 27 books of the New Testament that we have on our phones and on our iPads and in our printed Bibles. And you have all that information from God leading up to Christ from the Old Testament, explaining Christ in the New Testament. And he gives all the instruction about how to live in the cockpit of the Christian life between here and there as we fly through the enemy territory. That is what God has said. And it's there and it's clear. And I just want us to affirm that. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Number one, we need to have very clearly in our minds this very simple fact, God has clearly spoken. We need to know that. Know that God has clearly spoken. There's just no confusing this in the pages of Scripture. There is a doctrine about the clarity with which God has spoken that has been called into question today. There are many people writing books in the last 20 years or so, and it's almost an understood thing among people that don't even think clearly about the Bible, but they buy this philosophy that, you know, you can't be clear about what the Bible says. We can't really know what God says. Matter of fact, they want to say you should never be certain about anything that you read in the Bible, which, by the way, they're very certain about telling us we should not be certain about what God has said. As a matter of fact, they say you ought to be able to think through whatever issues are going on in your day, and if it seems right and it feels right and you think it's the right thing, you should be able to look at Scripture and interpret it that way. The doctrine of the clarity of Scripture has been completely ignored in our day to where most people, they say, if that doesn't jibe well with how I feel, if that's not the kind of thing I think God would do, well, then I can look at the Bible and kind of read it however I want. I heard a sermon this week, or at least part of a sermon, from a guy in a church, in a pulpit, in a worship service, telling us that the story of Joseph getting a coat of many colors from his dad was really his dad giving him a colorful dress, and he was really transgender, and the whole point of the story of Joseph is affirming transgenderism in the book of Genesis. And my response, logically to all of that, is to look at the transcription of your sermon, put it down, and then be beginning to go on Twitter and Facebook and wherever I want, and to give my interpretation of what you said, and maybe I can weave it into some, I don't know, some pro-Trump political statement, because I'm going to treat your words the way you're treating God's words, but no one wants that, right? You want me to understand and apply what we call hermeneutics, the ability to take simple common sense rules to understand what you're saying. You want me, every book written by Brian McLaren or anyone talking about you shouldn't be certain about God's word, they're very certain about what they're saying and they're very clear about you should be very careful to read my sentence carefully. If I wrote a review of that sermon and made it out to be something he didn't mean, or if I took any review of any book telling me that I should not be certain about what God says and wrote a review about it that was completely opposite of what they intended, do you think I'd hear from them? Oh, you'd know I'd hear from them. If I had any voice or platform, I would hear from them. Why? Because you're misrepresenting me. That today is the norm for Christians. And you need to know this, that's not what the Bible teaches. Matter of fact, let me turn you to this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy 30, here's what God says to the people that were coming through the wilderness about what God has said. It started with two tablets, and God had initially said, well, let's just start with these Ten Commandments. And let's start with this. No other God before me and no idols. Well, that went away in a matter of 12 chapters. Right? They were like done with that. But here's the idea. God says, I've been super clear. And now my prophet Moses is going to extrapolate and, and give you details that I'm giving him about how you ought to live, what you ought to do, how you ought to function, the civil code of the people, what moral laws there should be, how the Levites should function, what's holy and what's not. All of that clearly given by God. And at the end of all this, the Pentateuch in the first five books of the Bible, this is the Pentateuch, the, the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what Moses says. Look at chapter 30 here in the book of Deuteronomy. Drop down to verse 11. He says, for this commandment that I command you today, it's not too hard for you. 
We're coming up with all kinds of reasons for not doing what he says. Not too hard for you. Neither is it far off, which is exactly the postmodern view of looking at the precepts and propositions of God's word. It's just, it's too cloudy. How could we possibly ever know it? It's not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to heaven for us and bring it down to us that we may hear it and do it. No, it's already been given to you, right? Heaven has come down through the prophets to give the voice, the authoritative, authenticated voice of heaven, and he's inscripturated. They are living oracles. They're written in Hebrew and in Greek, in a couple places in Aramaic. He's given us this, this truth. There it is. Neither is beyond the sea. Well, we don't have it. It's way over there that you should say, who will go over to the sea and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? No, the word is very near to you. As a matter of fact, I've been telling you to say it and recite it and Moses has been reading it to you. Matter of fact, I've said of people that are gonna lead in the nation, they gotta write their own copy of it. They gotta read it all the time. They gotta keep it with them. They gotta know it. They gotta say it. Well, it's right there. It's in your mouth and it's in your heart. You understand it so that you can do it. But we continue to fight in some philosophical way that God is not clear. God has clearly spoken and there'll be no excuse for us to stand before God and say, eh, you're right, I wasn't clear on that. Every water cooler discussion, all the hot buttons, and I know there's just a handful of them in every, well, I don't know, couple years, and, and our hot button topics, God has been very clear on. Are there some secret things that belong to the Lord, Deuteronomy 29, 29? Sure. Are there some things we wish we had greater clarity on? Yes. But the things that people say there is no clarity on, which are the hot button issues, are the things that God anticipates in every generation. They just recur every cycle of every generation, and he's been clear on them. They're not confusing. It's just that we have a problem hearing them. Now, I understand hearing them is a gift. Jesus talked a lot about having eyes to see and ears to hear. And maybe that's a good place for you to start. If you're struggling with the things that God has said or you think they're not clear, let's start with just saying, God, I want you to give me ears to hear them. I want to be able to at least reasonably stand back just like I want someone to stand back and listen to what I say and reasonably interpret it. That clarity. There's a, there's a Latin word that was used to embody this doctrine in church history that comes from the Latin word transparent. It's, it's transparent. You can look past the words to the meaning and the truth of it. And that concept of what that is is what we need to get back to in our own minds and say, God, maybe though there's some kind of internal problem with me, which of course is where the text goes next. There is a problem if your heart is not in the right place. Matter of fact, go back to, to Acts chapter seven, and in verse 39, you'll see the diagnosis, even though he's giving living oracles, Moses is, even about to the Sanhedrin, that there would be a prophet that is coming that is Christ. Here, you guys are much like they were in the desert and you're not, you're not desiring to hear it. And we'll hear more from Stephen's speech to the Sanhedrin tomorrow, right here on Focal Point. Glad you could join us for today's message called The Paganism of the People from Pastor Mike Fabares. This message is part of a series called Gospel Lessons from the Old Testament. And if you missed any of the earlier lessons in this series, you can listen on the Focal Point app or online at focalpointradio.org. And we hope you've benefited from today's program as Pastor Mike faithfully teaches the truth of the Bible. He doesn't mince words or shy away from controversial topics. And we think you'll agree that we need more of this clear, accurate biblical teaching in today's confused culture. But to keep Focal Point on the air in your community, we need your help. We rely on the financial support of our listeners to broadcast these messages, and your faithful support really does make a difference. So please make a generous donation today or set up a monthly gift when you call 888 520 5885 
or go online to focalpointradio.org. And to show our appreciation, we'll send you a helpful book titled The Most Misused Stories in the Bible by Eric Bargerhoff. Sort through modern-day distortions of well-known Bible stories and grasp their original meaning for us today when you read this book. Simply request The Most Misused Stories in the Bible when you call 888-320-5885. That's 888-320-5885. Or go online to focalpointradio.org. Again, that's focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, send your donation by mail to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And finally, we're really looking forward to next August when we'll venture into God's majestic creation on a seven-day Alaskan cruise. And you're invited to come along, discover the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast while exploring the truth of God's Word with Pastor Mike. To learn more and book your suite, go to focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Well, tomorrow, Pastor Mike Fabares continues his important lesson about sin and our human tendency to ignore God's warnings called the paganism of the people. I'm your host, Dave Drewy, hoping you'll join us again Tuesday for more Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, we live in a culture where every point of view demands affirmation. It'd be easy to tell people what they want to hear. But we must teach the Bible accurately, unapologetically, and without compromising and without editing it. God's Word is truth. If you want to send me a question, I encourage you to get in touch with us at focalpointradio.org. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.